I have saliva everywhere. (sighs) Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and maybe even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. My name is Rachel. I am a mother of two with my Montessori training and infant toddler which is birth three years old. I am here with Megan, mother of two, with her training in lower elementary, ages six to nine, and she is also currently working on her primary training, ages three to six, which you're probably almost done with that now, or you're getting close? I'm getting close, but no, I'm not done. Thank you for bringing that up. Close. (laughs) (laughs) And Laura, mother of two, that's the first time I get to say that, with her Montessori training in lower elementary and upper elementary, ages six to 12. How are we, guys? Let me say first how happy I am that you're both here because, like, I love having guests. And I also love that we get to, like, there's three of us. So if someone really needs to take a break or, you know, Rachel obviously needed to go on vacation with her family or Laura needs to go have a baby, that we can hold it down for for everyone else. But the fact that we're here, the three of us, together the magic team. I need to work out a better name. Yeah. Also, (laughs) the amount of hesitation for you to just come up with the magic team. (laughs) The magic team. That's interesting choice of words. Dude, the mom squad tripod. I mean, that's what our little inside insider knowledge is that our group chat's name is mom squad tripod. So I'm just happy that you're both here. There's really nothing like it. The magic team. (laughs) (laughs) oh there's so much hesitation there i mean my brain doesn't work as fast as it used to two kids will do that to you that's that's what (laughs) i've been busy doing is learning that two kids will do that to you it has been one whole month five weeks of baby boy beer and it, it it is actually insane that it's been a whole five weeks every time you stop and think about how long you've had the kid It feels like that's not possible. It was just yesterday. And also at the same time, an entire lifetime has passed since before you had that. Yeah. Also, like you've never not been here, right? Right. It's the weirdest feeling. Yeah. It's so weird. It's like he's always been here and he is absolutely brand new to the situation. So it's just such a trippy existence, but it's been really cool and I'm enjoying it. It's had its ups and downs. I am not going to lie. I'm not going to be that social media post of, oh my God, everything has been sunshine since you came along, my baby sunshine. He absolutely is my baby sunshine, but there are plenty of thunderstorms sprinkled along the way in the postpartum stage. So it has just been a roller coaster, but one that I'm enjoying and being present for because I'm pretty sure that this will be my last little tiny baby trying to soak in some of the newbornness of it because I 
also know firsthand how fast it really does go. So one of the two of you will have to keep having babies so that I can keep cuddling them. I'll keep having babies. All right. I'll leave that to Rachel (laughs) and we can just, I'll just snuggle both of your babies, which I got to do. Yeah. I got to hold that little baby over the weekend and he is just like a little squish. He just slept in my arms the entire time. He's just an adorable little. I know this is audio. But I'm just squeezing. Because <laughs> that's the only adjective I have is just my pinchy little fingers. But yeah, he's really, he's really adorable. So Rachel, we haven't seen you because you were doing really fun things. Tell us about it. Yes. We go with my parents a lot to Disney. They have like a timeshare thing with Disney. So we're super lucky that they have that because they always take us. And we went, we gave my in-laws like the gift Disney for their birthdays and Christmas last year and holidays and stuff because they never go and they won't spend the money. So we took them and it was such a good trip. It was quick. It was hot. It was spring break in Florida, but it was so good. Like I said, I mean, we went in December. It's just so magical. And our youngest now, she was, you know, she's more mobile. I mean, she was clapping and she sees bubbles and smiling. And our son, he's just like, I mean, everything he he would get off. I see that movie. That was so fun, Rad. I seen that. I mean, it's just like everything he's so excited about. It was good. We came back, it was exhausted. And then we had like a quick Easter weekend with family, but it was very well worth the exhaustion level. And I'm so happy you have a trip, Megan, now book. I do. We're going with our family. Even more exciting this week, we have been toilet learning. Oh, yeah. And I just wanted to say to you, because we've been talking a lot about it, because we... Nice job. Nice job. Again, I don't understand that this is audio, I don't think. I'm patting myself on the back. Anyway, I just wanted, I wanted to update Rachel, because we were just talking about this on one of our most recent episodes, and... I took your advice and we just did bottomless for an entire week. We didn't go anywhere. We didn't do anything. It was spring break. We went outside and that was it. And it has been seamless, just so much easier than the first time around with my daughter. And I feel like part of it was that he's younger. So he's been watching her do it for a really long time. And that the second I saw that he was interested, we just jumped on it, which was really helpful because everything was already set up. I'd done it before. So I feel like a lot of that was just like me being a little bit more. You knew what you were doing. Knowledgeable this time around and less stressed about it because like the first two days were just like he missed every single time. And I was like, oh, first time around, I was like, oh my gosh, maybe she's not ready. Oh, you know, I just, I wasn't able to see the bigger picture. Whereas this time I was, we're going to give him weeks because you had said you're like five weeks. I was like, I'm not going to look at it as like a day, two days, three days. I'm going to look at it as like months. And so I did that and we are in the second week. No problems. He's going independently. He's had a few misses at school since we started school because it's yeah. a different situation of like Lots you know, pants and underwear and playground and different people. And I can see when he has to go and can like, you know, be like, oh, let's go. Whereas, you know, his teachers are still learning what his routine is. But I just wanted to say that whoever is going through this or whoever has 
maybe some doubts <laughs> is that it totally does work. The biggest difference I think was me letting go and just realizing that it's a process and that there's going to be a lot of misses and just like go outside yeah. if you can. Just go outside. It fixes everything. It, does. <laughs> it really does. I think it takes the that- stress off of you. Like, cause and I know in your yeah. home, you're so worried. Oh my gosh, it's going to get dirty or the rug or this or that. And when you're outside, it's just like, okay, who cares if they get pee all over the deck, I'll wash it off with water. You just have that freedom. Yeah. Well, I noticed that there were like mm-hmm. stages and I did want to share this because I know there are a few people who are starting this, especially after that episode. So there were stages of the first stage was kind of like he was noticing that he was going to the bathroom. So he'd like kind of stop and, yeah. and look. And if he was outside and I realized that I noticed that was like, okay, that's a step in the right direction. So instead of being like, oh my gosh, he's not going in the toilet. I was like, oh, he recognized it. You yeah. know, that's a, that's a step in the right direction. And then it, he'd like walk over to the grass. This is a good spot. So it's like, okay, he's realizing he has to go. He's holding it. And then he's choosing where to go. And then after a while, it turned into the toilet. So I was just able to see the progression a lot more clearly and be a little bit more understanding of the progression versus like it's a miss or it's not. It's gone really well. And I wouldn't have been able to do without you. You're amazing. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could help. And I'm so glad that it was like that. I mean, that's if if you catch them in that sensitive period and you really have yourself set up, it, it, it can be pretty flawless. So I'm glad it was like yeah. that. Yeah. We ready? All right. I need to do an Hey. Yes. I can't sing the praises of this small business enough. You both know that I love a toy subscription, but this one is different. It's Tiny Earth Toys and it's a rental oh. toy subscription. You can rent toys. Okay, so I'm just going to go off script here and talk about how I have recently found Tiny Earth Toys. And you can go online and they base the toy options based on how old your child is. And you can can rotate the toys that you'd like. And it's so amazing because you can have them and then you can send them back. So I don't have to find a place in my house for them because I recently learned that 90% of children's toys are plastic and used for only six months. Yeah. 80% end up in landfills, incinerators, or the ocean. And I know that I can say that every time we get a new toy, it's loved for a little while. And then I have to store it. Which, yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. I've only had a child for three years now. And for most of those three years, it was just the one child. And I am out of storage space in my house. And like, I have totes of stuff that she's not playing with right now that I'm going to try to rotate back in. Or now that I have a second one, maybe go get out and find and use. But I can absolutely imagine how just like piles of toys end up being waste. Just so much waste. So much waste. And it's amazing because it's plastic free. It's backed by educators, it's female founded, and it's local to us. It's in our backyard. Yeah, that's. I think that's so cool. Like they're literally right here. Yeah. It's so cool. So by breaking the cycle of overconsumption and normalizing reuse of children's toys, we can empower an entire generation to consume consciously. So you can try out Tiny Earth Toys by going to tinyearthtoys.com and you can use the code WILD10 at checkout for $10 off your box. You can support our show by supporting our amazing sponsors. 
So our topic today is the absorbent mind. And you might be familiar with this term since you're pretty much all Montessori nerds and we love that about you guys. But if it's new to you, Montessori said, quote, the child has a mind able to absorb knowledge, end quote. So the absorbent mind is the child's ability to take in information through experiences and the environment in which they interact. Dr. Montessori explains this starts at birth and lasts until about age six. So through that first plane of development, and we have talked about this idea of these planes of development before. So from age zero to three, the child is unconsciously absorbing. And then from about age three to six, they are more consciously absorbing what's going on around. You may have heard many people say that during this time, the children are like sponges and they truly are absorbing anything and everything and hence the absorbent mind. Dr. Montessori shared this quote in her book, The Absorbent Mind. Quote, the absorbent mind, which receives all, does not judge, does not refuse, does not react. It absorbs everything and incarnates it in the coming man. The child performs this work of incarnation to achieve equality with other men and to adapt himself to live with them, end quote. All right, so in our typical kicking it off with some heady philosophy stuff, what do we want to say about that? First, I want to talk a little bit about some of these very Montessori words that we're using. Incarnation, that's not a word we use every day or hear every day. So let's talk about it. Incarnation is the idea. So if you, you know, if you take the root carnate, it's like flesh, meat, the process of taking in the world around them. So that's what she's talking about. They're taking in the world around them and they're creating mental flesh or meat of the mind. The experiences of the child become part of their mind and they create their own mental muscles from what they find in the world. And we have to be really thoughtful about how we behave around children and what we expose them to because in this time, they're creating who they are based on their experiences. Some characteristics of the absorbent mind are really essential for us to understand as caregivers sensitive periods, human tendencies, and the absorbent mind together wrap up the entire Montessori approach from birth to six years old. So this is kind of our last puzzle piece for this plane of development. And if we're to understand how to prepare the environment, how to prepare ourselves as Montessori adults, we have to understand the absorbent mind. The nice thing is, is that if you've spent any time at all with a child under six, you are very aware of the kind of mind that they have if you really stop and think about it, which is exactly what we're here to do today. Yeah, I will say, first of all, thank you for breaking down incarnation because that's like a really intimidating word. She's so... She's so like heavy. She's poetic. She is really her writing is very poetic. It's very beautiful and it's really intimidating. And it's really sometimes doesn't feel super attainable. So um and we've had l- listeners reach out and be like, "Can you recommend something that is not so hard to read?" And I totally get it. I remember sitting in training with all of my assigned passages trying like half asleep trying to read them and then break them down and you know they're translated from Italian so it's and that's such a beautiful heavy language so it's just like wow you have to reread over like a thousand times to like oh okay that's what she wants you to get from that beautifully written piece right because people just don't speak like that anymore and I definitely did have to like reread these things a lot and I love that you're pointing out carnal right the the c-a-r-n part of it meat like literally these things that they're absorbing shape the meat of their brains their bodies it shapes them as human beings 
to your point, her pinnacle of all of her work is the book, The Absorbent Mind, where she kind of brought everything together at the end of her career. Kind of one of her last big books that she wrote, and it's very popular. And if your child attends a Montessori school or you're getting into Montessori, so many people will recommend this book. And it's... It's a hard read. I'm I'm not gonna lie. It's maybe not the first thing you wanna you wanna jump into unless you're a really great reader. I don't know. <laughs> then maybe be not right before bed after you've been hanging out with your kids all day. Yeah. But that's that's why we're here. We're here to at least introduce you or remind you if you've forgotten, and then you can maybe jump into it feeling a little more confident. And we felt like this was such an important topic to tackle, not just because of its prevalence in her work, but because it is so amazingly true it's so relevant and if you have young children you're experiencing this every day and I just kind of want to immediately say that this is going to be another one of those times where we are trying to explain to you that you're off the hook you're off the hook for having to teach per se a lot of things because as we're going to go right now over the characteristics of the absorbent mind you've surely seen in your children ages zero through six and especially zero through three all these things manifesting whether you wanted them to or not right so let me start with the first character characteristics of the absorbent mind, which is that during the time of the absorbent mind, learning is truly effortless. They are able to absorb language, movements, behaviors, and all of these things happen without trying and without us giving explicit lessons. We're modeling these things. They're seeing it. They're watching it and they're absorbing it. They're hearing it. They're absorbing it. They don't need to be specifically taught. Another important thing to remember, though, is that as they're absorbing all of these things, this part of their journey is non-discriminatory. So that means that the child takes in their environment like a camera, point it at something, it captures the whole image or everything that it can fit into its frame effortlessly and permanently, and it is not able to just sift out the pieces of the picture that maybe you didn't like. Okay, So they're taking in the whole environment without editing it. They can't take in just the good and leave out the bad. They take in all of it. And if we could do a quick example, Megan, you shared a story about your daughter on a recent plane trip. So we were on a plane trip to California, just the two of us. And it's a six hour flight. We were flying from San Francisco to Washington, DC. It's a long flight. And I was kind of like, whatever you want, kids, whatever you want to watch, whatever you want to eat, anything to keep this kid still and happy for six hours. And she did awesome. She wanted to watch Spidey and his amazing friends, which we've never watched before. I was like, fine, yeah, sure. She watched like maybe three episodes of it and we get to Washington, D.C. and we have to walk really far from one gate to another to get on our flight for our next flight. So we're like kind of walking, we're like racing and (laughs) we're stopping and getting a snack because it's a pretty long walk. And she was just out of control with her body. She was just like ramming into stuff. She was ramming into me and whenever I would try to talk to her, she'd be like, hmm. Just like looking at me like, you can't tell me what to do. And I was just like, what is this? And part of me was chalking it up to it's been a long day. We've been on a flight for a long time, which is totally true. But as I was watching her movements, I realized that she was ramming into things like one of the villains in the show she's like acting like a wild beast of a rhino (laughs) in the airport and when I realized that I was like oh she wasn't able to discriminate between behaving like a protagonist 
versus the antagonist because she has a non-discriminatory mind. She's not taking in like, I want to emulate the behaviors of this good guy because everybody likes him and not this bad guy because everyone doesn't like him and he doesn't win in the end. There's not that like moral discussion happening in her mind. She takes a picture of the whole entire frame and all of it stays. So it just kind of reminded me of how powerful their minds are and how we also need to make sure that we're aware of what pictures they're taking. Yeah, so that sort of critical reasoning mind will come in the second plane of development for sure, where you'll be able to watch a show like that and have your child say, oh, wow, so the way that that character behaved did not behoove him or her. People didn't like that. I don't want to be like that. I want to be like the hero who behaved this certain way. That's not happening yet. It will But in that first plane in zero to six with the absorbent mind, like we said, they just take in all of it. There is no good. There is no bad. And so you might find yourself being frustrated about stuff that you're seeing them, you know, act out and thinking it's a TV show. Why don't you get that? And eventually they will. And this is why as part of the philosophy and a lot of sort of newer philosophies too, try to recommend that you don't have a ton of fantasy and a ton of screen time and a ton of just exposure to things that you don't really get to sift through as carefully as you would like to. We all specifically do it, but we're just saying, you know, for your own sanity, something to keep in mind when you're seeing these behaviors is it's not them, you know, trying to be bad or anything like that. This is just part of that absorbent mind. So the next characteristic I want to talk about is adaptation. And Marie Montessori, she was huge on this whole concept of adapt or die. And she was obviously a thousand percent true and it was happening at a really scary time in our history in general the experiences that a human has in the in that first plane of development they're literally shaping you as a human like we said before this is you becoming a person and this is giving you a sense of belonging which is something humans desperately want so nature is going to allow us to adapt to the environment around us and to help us survive in that environment and therefore wherever you are for the first six years of your life will always be a pretty big part of you even if it's subconsciously and it's because you are literally learning the adaptation skills necessary to survive so strongly in that time without even, again, being aware of it. There's no critical thinking. There's no reasoning. You're not actively saying, I want to fit in with everyone around me. I'm going to act this way. It's just happening. You're just absorbing it. And so that will be true of your children as well. Before you move on, I was just thinking COVID just came up in my mind in that we all crazy adapted our lives and adapt and our children, like we all had to adapt and that it's just what we did. I feel like our children are still coming out of it. Things were so different in the beginning of his toddlerhood to like now because of that time period of the COVID, which they were born into. For our firstborns specifically, zero to three was a pandemic for the most part. And so everybody did adapt socially, schools adapted, everything had to change a little bit. And that's just what they've always known. Right. And it was so much easier for children under six to do that than for us, because this is what they know. And in the same way, you can think about like where you grew up. So if you grew up in a specific country for the first six years of your life, most likely that's how you will identify yourself. Like I grew up in Central California for six years of my life. And that is a huge part of who I am. And no matter where I move, no matter where I go, you know, I'm in the South now and my accent is still, (laughs) it's still from where I came from when I was a child. So it's, it's this huge 
identity as well. Yeah, I love that. That's actually just like rung true with me too, because I was born in New York and moved out of New York by about first grade. But if you ask me any day, I'm going to tell you I'm from New York, even though I've lived in other states for way, way, way longer than I lived in actual New York. It's just part of me. Anyway, thank you everyone for your examples. And the last characteristic I'm going to talk about for now is the evolutionary link. And by that, I mean children are born and they stand on the shoulders of those who came before them. The child is the link in evolution and they pass on what the generations before have accomplished. They have the opportunity and ability to add and move beyond what the generations previously accomplished. This is something that is, again, sort of unconsciously unspoken part of us as humans up through a certain age. And then come that second plane of development, and I'll speak as a lower elementary teacher, this actually becomes a huge part of our studies and Maria Montessori's philosophy of the the cosmic curriculum of sort of going way, way, way back in time and giving this huge, big picture of where people came from, where, where we got everything from our letters, our numbers, the whole nine, just kind of tracing back our history as human beings and honoring that. And being excited about that, being inspired by that, and then wanting to build on that to continue to improve and just make a you know better quality of, of life for the world around us and for ourselves. Yeah. If you think about just technology, a child that is born today will so much more easily be able to immediately start using technology than someone who was born in the 1930s. They might struggle. And you can see this, like a two-year-old who just shows up and can just turn on the TV and find exactly what they're looking for and just start streaming because they are starting where the generation before left off. Or another example could be social justice things like that, that say the things that our parents might be struggling with, like LGBTQ, how to learn how to identify people and how to, you know, that's a struggle for them. Whereas for our children who are growing up in a world where maybe they are even just aware of other choices and more accepting because that's part of their world where it wasn't part of the generation previous, we're able to stand on the progress of generations before us. I like that. Those are good examples. Yeah. And because of that absorbent mind, that two-year-old has just soaked in every time that you've turned on the TV and found a thing, they just know that they've it's just as natural to them as the generation before watching someone pick up a landline phone and dial it. So like, you know, I knew how to use the rotary phone downstairs before my mom would have at my age. So that's a good, good example that everything kind of just like builds on everything else. And I like that it's not just hardwired technology and like hardware, it's actually also can be like philosophies and beliefs and just the way that we like treat people and social issues and things that again, they will just absorb my our children will just absorb the idea that there are pronouns outside of him and her. And that won't be weird to them. That won't be something they struggle to like remember because it will just always have been the way it was during this window in their lives, this absorbent mind period. Okay, so then let's talk about how we might use this information to support our child's absorbent mind at home or in the classroom. Probably most of our listeners are at home, but or some of you know, a lot have classrooms at home. So Rachel, what should we what should we know? So first, we need to break up the first plane of development, birth to six years old, into two subplanes. So these two subplanes look a little different, and we will approach them differently. Through the first 
zero to three, we talk about the unconscious mind, the unconscious absorption. From zero to three, the child is gathering information and impressions. They are getting to know the world around them. They are acquiring language, movement, culture, behaviors, relationships, and they do all this unconsciously, meaning they have no say in the matter. It's just happening. So how can we support this unconscious absorbent mind? First and foremost, it's really important to say again, this is completely out of their control. Like Megan's daughter couldn't control what was happening because she had absorbed that rhino and was just, that's what was happening to her body. They are simply absorbing everything, literally everything around them. So during this unconscious period, a lot, a lot, a lot of development is also occurring. Think about from birth to three years old. Think about what happened in your child's or the children in your class in that time period so much development they're learning to eat move walk interact within the household outside of the household so we just need to be really aware they are absorbing everything all the time so many a times we feel like we should be kind of entertaining them maybe it's definitely what you see on tv it's what's marketed for parents obviously we (laughs) are telling you different if you're listening to this podcast often and following us on social media But in reality, in the big picture of this, a lot of times you see things that entertain your children at all times. But we really just need to give them space and time and a prepared environment during this zero to three window because their bodies are going to do the work. Their babies' bodies and toddlers' bodies do the work for them because they're absorbing. They can't help but to absorb. So their bodies just do it. You don't have to entertain. Observation also is a key in this Part of development. So as a teacher, as a caregiver at home, as a Montessori parent, we're observing our kids all the time, right? So specifically, you can be observing what do you see? What have they absorbed? And really kind of sitting back and thinking about that's kind of fun to do. I actually, after I wrote this script, I was like, huh, I need to like sit back and just watch work cycle at home, just like playtime in the playroom that we have like an hour, an hour and a half in the morning. Right now, it's kind of our new routine. And just sit back and really watch, like, what is he doing and how, what has he absorbed? Oh, oh my God, that's amazing. Is that like your ringtone? Is that salt and pepper? It's my, and we just turn it off. It's my alarm to tell Finley to go to bed. He goes to bed every night. Ah, push it. Push it. Push, it. push it real good. I was hoping that was like Garrett's ringtone or something on your phone. Nah. Finley chose that song. So observation is what allows us to know what they have absorbed. So as always, we encourage you to step back and observe and see what they are doing and then process that as a caregiver, as a parent, as a teacher. Yes. Love that reminder. Thank you. Especially the whole like there's a lot of things marketed at us to keep our kids constantly entertained. And it usually involves strapping them into something or plugging them into something and lighting up their faces with really fast movements and animations. And it's just so not necessary. I think that we forget all the time that this is the first trip around the fishbowl for these creatures. Like everything is still very much amazing and magical and fascinating. They're not bored with stuff yet. Like we are. I have an infant child right now who will so happily lay in one spot and look at high contrast shapes on a piece of paper a couple inches from his face. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He finds a ceiling fan in a room and it is like, holy crap. 
<laughs> Dude, ceiling fans, I will never get tired of how much newborns love a ceiling fan. The best the ceiling fan is the winner. <laughs> <laughs> Just send a large poster of a ceiling fan to attach above your child's head anywhere that you are mm-hmm. because it is for sure a winner. Yeah, don't bother with a mobile. Just get a ceiling fan. And that's what I'm saying, though, is like, it's so funny to us because like, oh, the ceiling fan, duh, like, it, who cares? They are just still absorbing and soaking in so many things. And to him right now, it's the contrast that his little blurry eyes can barely make out. And then as they start to focus, he'll find new things about it. And that's the great thing, too, is that up through a certain age in this whole planar development, they can experience the same things multiple times. And as their bodies and brains are changing, the experience changes. So, again, they're not bored with things that we think oh, they must be bored. I need to do something. I need to step in. I need to entertain. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do that. So per usual, we are just trying to tell you guys that you actually have to do a lot less than you think you do. It's okay to just be present. Definitely anytime you can just go outside because gosh, there's so many amazing, there's sounds and smells and colors and all kinds of things out there. But yeah, just that you, you don't have to work super hard. And then I love Rachel's reminder that If you're not sure if it's really happening, sit back, observe them. I now have a super verbal three-year-old that I can listen to her pretend play and pick up like what concepts and stuff that she has recently gleaned and is working to process because they'll come out in her play. She has her little characters say certain things to each other or do certain things in the little dollhouse. And I'm like, huh, okay. So she must have seen that recently and she's playing through that thing in her mind and figuring out how that all works together. And I don't need to jump in and be like, well, but what if this doll said blah, 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 you know, like just let them go. And I say that I do it anyway, but I, I am trying. Okay. Yeah. We didn't show up here saying that we do all this. Yeah. If you're new here, please know that we're just a bunch of hypocrites. (laughs) And that's the thing. That's what Rachel was saying before she was so beautifully interrupted by her ringtone. But we a lot of times talk about this stuff for ourselves to remind us of how important this is because no one's perfect and we fall off and we get busy and we, you know, don't slow down. And we come to this podcast a lot like, oh, yeah, I should do that more. Yeah. So we're all in the same boat. We're doing the best we can. We are somewhat under a microscope when we really like step back and think about it during this time when we're raising zero to three. Everyone's watching you be the parent to a young child and then you put this absorbing on top of it. It can feel like a lot. I mean, that's what we've been discussing. But in reality, we are modeling for them. So they hear what we say, see what we do, watch how we interact with others. It is a lot of pressure and we're going to mess up. Just like we all said, all three of us, we mess up and we continue to mess up. But something else in this time period is really allow them to have exposure to the real world, to real life experiences. We discuss this a lot in in my training. They're kids, yes, but we want them to be treated as human beings, right? So they can go to the grocery store and see how people interact in the grocery, see what happens when you pay at the counter. Previously, we were out at a restaurant and the waiter spilled my sweet tea all over me and the diaper bag. And I think I calmly reacted, but I was just like, oh, okay. But in my head, I was thinking like, if I would have blown up, then my son probably would have been like freaked out or a little scared, you know, so watching how I interacted in that just real life experiences, taking them out, allowing them to experience this allows them learn how to act in the world too. If you don't give them that opportunity, then they aren't able to absorb that either. So 
Mel, Megan, should we hop into conscious? The conscious absorbent mind. So once the child enters the latter period of development, the child is consciously taking in his environment, not with new impressions, but seeking ways to give order to or to create a system for those impressions gathered unconsciously during the prior period of development. The child learns through those self-chosen engaging activities and builds a solid base habit of thoughtful concentration and structured learning. You can support the conscious absorbent mind, but since this is a time of effortless absorption, we use this time to our advantage. And that's why it was so important to Marie Montessori and how she brought it into the classroom. And so we provide hands-on, highly sensorial materials in the classroom, which makes sense because we know that the child is building up their personality and understanding of the world through their experiences. Montessori said, quote, only after repeated experiments did we conclude that with certainty, all children are endowed with this capacity to absorb culture. If this is to be true, we then argued, if culture can be acquired without effort, let us provide the children with other elements of culture. And then we saw them absorb far more than reading and writing. Botany, zoology, mathematics, geography, with the same ease, spontaneously, and without getting tired, end quote. So it's kind of like, why not? If their brain is just this like superpower, why not give them everything? And that's why we do. And I think something that sometimes is different in Montessori than like unschooling or Waldorf is that actually three to six is very heavy in academics. It is really hands-on. It's really tactile, but it is really pretty dense because we know, and if we believe that this is true, that they have this absorbent mind, we're just giving them everything we can possibly give them in this time because their mind won't be like this forever. So what that means for us at home or in a classroom, that if they're taking in language, let's give them rich language. Let's give them poems, books, songs, and other languages. This is a great time to teach them another language or expose them to another language. Also books, poems, songs that are of really high quality, beautiful language and beautiful illustrations. Unfortunately, a lot of times children's books, songs, poems are not of very high quality and we want to provide them with content that is what their brain is ready to absorb. And so we're really picky about that stuff. Manipulatives. Instead of teaching say shapes through a worksheet, you know, coloring a triangle and a square, we can offer that actual shape to touch it, to feel it, to move it, to experience it. So that's kind of how we can maybe bring this into our homes is before we teach anything, we show them. And that plays into grace and courtesy. We model, model, model. If they are taking everything in, then it is our job to show them how they can behave in a community. We show them, this is what we do when we ask, can you please pass the salt? Now you can try. We're showing them through our actions how to behave because they're just absorbing it. They're taking it all in. So we kind of have to be careful about, Rachel said, <laughs> you know, she's not <laughs> yelling at someone because they spilled tea on her because her kids are watching and they're absorbing. Freedom to refine these skills. So if they are refining their skills in this plane, in this subplane, then we need to give them the freedom to explore. Let them touch. Let them, you know, let them explore with their hands. Let them make mistakes. 
and get involved, let them move, let them develop their communication skills, let them speak. And a lot of this, we talk about culture, like Rachel said, coming into the community, let them be a part of those celebrations. They don't always, and I get it, like sometimes you just want to go out, leave them at home. And I am, I do that. But when you can, let them be a part of the community, let them be a part of the culture and let them absorb all of that. And lastly, of course, be careful of what we are exposing our children to. That means music, language, behaviors, television, sometimes the shows that they watch or the music that they listen to. You know, it could be violent. It could be sexually explicit. There are things that we really want to make sure that we're protecting that absorbing mind and making sure that everything that goes in to the best of our abilities is rich and enriching their experience and who they are. And that's what I have for ages three to six. I think that's great. I think that really sums up what we're trying to say, which is that they're going to soak everything in, whether you like it or not. So try to be intentional about what it is they're soaking in. And then when you slip up, because you will over and over and over again, and we are not any exception, just to know what's going on there, to understand kind of the science behind it, what's going on developmentally. And as we always say, just coming back to the idea of that's just a chance for you to model a little humility and that grace and courtesy and to maybe admit, you know, maybe Rachel didn't yell at the waiter for spilling the tea, but she yelled at the dog for jumping up on the counter, right? And then two seconds later, a couple days later, now her son is screaming at her daughter or the dog or anybody at all in the same way that he heard Rachel do it. He's not able to, going back to that non-discriminate mind, he's not saying, oh, well, it's the dog. I wouldn't talk to a person like that. Nope, that's not happening. It's just, I saw somebody do this. Now I want to try it on. And so that's what's going on inside of them when you see that stuff. That's okay. In fact, it's good. It means that that absorbent mind is working and it can always be a teachable moment if you can catch your breath, calm yourself, come back to earth and try to lean into it, I guess, that absorbent mind. Because it can be great and it can be a pain in the butt at the same time. I actually would just like to hear because I love stories about kind of this realization of what the absorbent mind is. I'll tell one more really fast. Is that when I was really pregnant with my son, like nine months pregnant, he was 10 pounds. He was huge. So I was huge. And I had a toddler she was like one she spilled something and I was trying to clean it up and I could not bend over I was just a giant pregnant person and so (laughs) I threw a towel on the ground and I wiped it up with my foot and then I you know put it away for months this child would throw cloth on the floor and then wipe it up and I was like well that'll go away then Rachel gets pregnant (laughs) And she sees Rachel do it. And so like for a so year, because <laughs> she just is incarnating this by seeing it so many times. She sees Rachel doing this. And I thought we were past it. We're not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm going to be honest with you, Megan. I'm not sure what the problem is here. I actually regularly clean things no up problem. with my feet to avoid bending. And I think that it's work smarter, not harder. Okay, Megan? It's a it's a way to do it for sure. <laughs> But it makes me laugh because it always makes me think about what just an example of that absorbent mind of like, she saw it, she took it in, she absorbed it. And there it didn't matter how many times I showed her how to, you know, beautifully clean up, you know, the table, she's still going to just throw it and like, throw her foot up there and wipe it around because that's what she's <laughs> seeing. That's what she's absorbing. And so I might have homework for everybody yeah. Yeah. of 
if you have thought of something that your child has done that they have absorbed, I'd like to hear about it. Send us an email. Send us a an Instagram message. I want to hear your examples of your child's beautiful absorbent mind. Oh, that'll be fun. Things your kid things your kids did that you didn't even know that they were absorbing. Yeah. Let's finish out the show with this segment called Confessions from the Wild. Who has some good confessions? I just have a really super quick one that you'll both relate to as I now have mm-hmm. something uh, with hardware that allows it to projectile urinate <laughs> across my living room onto couch cushions that are nowhere near us. Um, and this is a good time for me to endorse any kind of furniture that will allow you to zip off a cover and wash it should you have small children. Because the amount of times that my sectional couch has had up to three couch covers or cushion covers in the washing machine in the five weeks that this child has been here is impressive. That is that is a different, something different that you get to experience the second sure time is. around. I'm just completely new to this. It's just the force in trajectory. So much force. It's like, <laughs> it's like, speaking of that, I I just got the image. I just got the image. So, um, I mean, our son is so independent in his toileting now. I mean, he just like, all of a sudden you'll just hear like little feet in the toilet lid and he stands now. So the toilet lid just like slams, they flushes it. Like you, he's just so fast. And today... <laughs> Um, some reason too, when he has to poop and pee, like he stands to pee and then he decides he needs to sit to poop. Like he won't just sit and pee and poop. So I had moved my, um, gymnast of a almost one year old daughter has discovered to, to climb up the step stool in the bathroom. And I found her in the sink earlier today. She climbed all the way up the steps, climbed on the counter and was sitting in the sink. And I was like, okay. So I moved the stool from the sink. Because I was like, clearly this is not going to, unless I have like a kitchen helper type thing there, it's just not safe. So I moved it and put it in the tub because then she couldn't climb on it. And then I hear my son screaming, I need my stool. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. And I run up there and he's like all prepped and ready, you know, to use the toilet. But he's standing and he never uses a stool to pee. So I'm like, okay, you need your stool. And I set it there. And then he climbs. The stool is like two tiers. So now the stool is the same level as the toilet. Like they're literally at the same thing. So he is like towering over this toilet. Towering. And he just, he starts his stream hardcore. And it's just splashing everywhere. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, stop. Look at, look at your body. Look at your body. Look what's happening. He was like. I just peeing. I just peeing. I can't help it. I just peeing. And I was like, okay. And he's like, don't worry. I wipe it up. And he did now that my whole bathroom smells like urine. But but then he climbs down, moves the stool, puts his body up there and then poops. I'm like, dude, why could you not have just sat and peed and pooped in one, one time rather than splashing pee all over the bathroom and then still going to move the stool to sit to poop? I will never understand, but I just, that just made me think. I like see him standing on the store right now. I just kept looking like, what is happening? But we were already too far in for me to be like, okay, let's like, let's maybe try something else. It's like every step of the situation, every step in yeah. the situation, part of you knew this won't end well. Like when you had to get the stool out, 
for him to go pee, watching him climb up each step of it, standing towering over the toilet. And still, it's like it's happening in slow motion. You can't do it. It's a train wreck. He had already undressed himself, too, for the bath. So he's like just butt (laughs) naked, just standing there. I'm like, okay, okay. Boys, little boys. Yes, little boys. You have anything funny to share, Megan? Well, (laughs) I out of nowhere had a giggle the other day because I had just like a memory that shot to my head. So, you know, like the alphabet, how there's like names for the letters. I don't know if it's like military or whatever, but it's like Alpha Bravo. Bravo. So that's as far as I know. Charlie. Okay. Don't know them. And I was thinking about how when I was getting finished with my my first Montessori training, they had called me like the administrator person, whoever was doing like the paperwork, and they wanted to make sure that my name was spelled correctly on my diploma, which was very nice. And so he calls and I spell it. And there are a lot of letters that sound the same, like E, V, sounds like B and G. And so he was trying to make sure that it was correct. And he was like, can you, (laughs) can you spell it, you know, using whatever it's called? And I don't know what they are. And so my very, the one I remembered saying was was like, so E as in egg, (laughs) V as in vase, like, and so I'm just making up <laughs> random words. <laughs> yeah, dude, I used to do the same thing. He is an elephant. Like, because, but you want to pick a word that for sure starts with that letter and like couldn't be confused with anything else. Egg is risky. That's a risky one, Megan. Egg sounds like it could be something else. Are you saying bed? It's the only word that came to my mind was egg. And so I was sitting there thinking about how I spelt my name using the word egg, which is it's I now learned I asked my husband, it's echo. Yeah, that sounds right. And then V Victor. Yes. Yeah. That's hilarious. Anyway, nobody's asked me to do that before, obviously. And I just thought it was really funny because I panicked and just said egg. And I spelled the entire thing. Like, it wasn't just egg, but I just don't remember what the other examples I gave. I spelled my entire last name, which is very long, and my name is hyphenated. So there's two last names, one of which is – like, altogether, it's like 12 letters. So I spelled every (laughs) single letter using made-up words that aren't what they're supposed to be. So – Okay, on that bombshell, thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, review, and rate. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, and iHeartRadio. Just about everywhere that you can listen to a podcast, you will find us. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Honestly, one of the reasons that we even picked this topic was that people kept asking. So you guys actually help drive our content quite a bit. So keep reaching out. And until next time, stay wild. Roar. There we go. I haven't had a roar in a while. <laughs>